Well, good morning, everybody. If this is your first time, I'd like to especially welcome you here. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here, too. And uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be a church member. And what we've said is that, you know, church membership is not something that we sometimes find particularly interesting. But the reason that it's important is because when, we, when you put your faith in Jesus and when you are saved by faith, by grace through faith in Jesus, you don't just come into a relationship with God as your father. You come into a relationship with each other. We come into a relationship with each other as brothers and sisters. And so what we've been doing for the past couple of weeks, and we're going to continue doing for another couple of weeks, is talking about what that looks like. How are we supposed to treat each other as members of God's family? And what we said is that, you know, this can be a kind of a sensitive topic as well, because a lot of people have, have trauma in their past, thinking about churches they've experienced or different things they've seen happen in churches. And so what we've been saying is that a couple of metaphors are helpful with that. On the one hand, um, a church, being a member of a church is not like being a member of a country club, right? It's not like, you know, you have to dress a certain way, you have to look the right way, you have to be, you know, wealthy enough and connected enough and successful enough or, or good enough or something like that. And if you can meet our standard, then I guess we'll let you in. So no, it's not like being a member of a country club. It's like being a member of a family. Where we come to this place, whether we're white or whether we're black or whether we're Asian or whether we're Hispanic, in spite of any differences we might have, whether we're, we're left-leaning politically or right-leaning politically, whether we're old or whether we're young, whether we're rich or whether we're poor, in spite of all of our differences, we come to this place together and we're family because we share flesh and blood. And it's not physical flesh and blood. It's the flesh, it's the flesh of Jesus that was nailed to the cross for us. And it's the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. And we also said that a church, another thing a church is not, is a church is not a cult of personality. A church is not a cult of personality. I know some of you have listened to the, uh, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, the, uh, the, the podcast there. And if you've listened to that, it's a very sobering example of what happens when a church becomes a cult of personality, where the church kind of exists to be a platform for, for one person so he can gain more followers and so he can spread, he, he can become better and better well-known. And what we've said is that a church is not a cult of personality where it's all about one person and you know you can't question the, dare, the, the dear leader and when he says jump, you say how high and stuff like that. We said, no, a, a church, it's not like being a member of a cult of personality. It's like being a member of a body where every single one of us, whether we're the head or the foot or whether we're the big toe or the ear, we all belong and we all have a crucial role to play. And we work together to do the works that God has prepared for us, but he's the one who gets the credit. After all, it's his body, right? And when one of us is struggling, we don't just, it's not the, you know, like Mark Driscoll infamously said, it's not, you, know, you get, get off the bus, get on the bus, or get run over by the bus. No, we pick up the six, like we talked about last week. And if you don't know what it means to pick up the six, ask Jeff Bowman. He's done that for me several times. We help each other when we're in need. We support each other when we're feeling weak. Well, there's a question that you might have on your mind as we talked about that. Maybe you've been listening for the past couple weeks and you've been thinking, well, 
okay, yeah, we want to treat each other like family. We want to be like a body. I, I get that. I agree with that. But that's the universal church. I know I should be in those types of relationships with Christians, but, but why do I need to be a member of a local church? I know I need those types of relationships, but that doesn't mean I need to become a member of a local church. So what we're doing today, we're going to do three things. First of all, we're going to talk about what the word church means, the literal word for church. Then we're going to talk about what the universal church is. And then we're going to talk about a local church, which we're a local church, a local gathering of believers like Northwest, and then the relationship between the local church and the universal church. Sound good? Okay. Well, some of you know probably that the word for church is the Greek word ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. Ekklesia. And ekklesia literally means a gathering. It means a group of people who come together, an assembly or a gathering, a group of people that come together for a particular purpose, not necessarily religious. There's some examples in the Bible where people come together, like in Acts chapter 19, they come together for political purposes. It's a gathering of people together for a particular purpose. And if you're going to understand what it means to be a member of the church and what it means to be a member of a church, you need to understand that there's two ways that this word church is used in the New Testament. The first one, if you haven't opened up already to Matthew 16, go ahead and open up there now. The first one is in the, uh, is in the passage that Ed was just reading. In Matthew 16, where Jesus says, Peter confesses Jesus is the, is the Christ, which is another word for the king who's to come. And Jesus replies to him in Matthew 16, 18, he says, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my gathering. Now, he's not talking about our church in particular, or just our church. He's not meaning that he has $4 million to give us to build that building on the corner. That's not what he's saying. He's not specifically talking about Summit or Apex Baptist or any of the other great local churches in particular, he's talking about the universal church. Now, some people call it the big C, the capital C church. This is what the, uh, the, what the universal church is. This is a definition you can use for the universal church. The universal church is everyone throughout history who belongs to the kingdom of God through Christ Jesus. Everybody, when, when you say you belong to the universal church, when you put your faith in Jesus, you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You have joined the universal church. But why is it called a church? Why is it called a church? After all, I mean, there's a lot of Christians. I don't think these are all the Christians in the whole world throughout history in this room, are they? Right? So why is it called a church if there's Christians in China, there's Christians in Africa, there's Christians in New York, there's Christians all across the country? Why is it called a gathering if we're not physically present with each other? Well, the reason is because of the verse that Carol just read in Revelation chapter 7. The reason is that it's called a gathering because one day we will be gathered together. That's what Revelation chapter 7 is talking about, that one day when our king returns, when Jesus returns, he's going to gather to himself everybody throughout history, past, present, and future. He's going to gather all of us together to worship him in his kingdom. And that's going to be a party, okay? That's going to be fun. You don't want to miss out on that. 
Okay, that's the gathering of the universal church of Jesus that's going to take place when he returns. But what is the local church? How does the local church relate to that? So it's really interesting, if you're kind of a, a Bible nerd, if you read through your, your New Testament, one thing you might notice is, in the Gospels, Jesus talks about the kingdoms a lot. Every other word, you know, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is like a blank. You know, the kingdom of heaven has arrived. You know, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom, it's a heavenly kingdom. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. But he only mentions church a couple times. One is in the passage we just mentioned, there's another one we're going to talk about in a couple minutes. But then when you get past the Gospels, when you get to the book of Acts, you start talking about the early church, you talk, start talking about Paul, you start talking about Peter, John, and some of the other disciples of Jesus. They talk about the church a lot. Look with me really quick in, uh, in Romans chapter 16. We're not going to flip around this much the whole message, but just a couple things. I, I want you to see this so you don't think I'm, I'm, I'm making this up. Look with me in, uh, in Romans chapter 16. So when you look at the letters that Paul writes, he's not writing them mostly to individuals, he's writing them to churches. In Romans chapter 16, in verse 1, he says, I recommend to you our sister Phoebe. He's writing a letter and he's, he's given some shout outs at the end of his, of his letter. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Centria. Okay, and so he's talking about a church there. And then look down at verse 3. It says, greet Prissa and Achilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches, plural, of the Gentiles give, how, give, give thanks as well. Greet also the church that meets in their house. And then if you skip down to verse 16, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And he says, all the ecclesias. All the churches of Christ greet you. So he's not talking about the universal church here. He's talking about individual churches, individual local gatherings of disciples of Jesus who are meeting in different homes, who are meeting in different cities to be the church. So Jesus mentions the kingdom a lot, doesn't talk about the church very much. The Apostle Paul and other New Testament writers, they talk about the church a lot, but they don't mention the kingdom much at all. Why is that? I believe the reason, I believe the reason is that the way we experience the kingdom of God most fully today, when we're in between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, while we're waiting for our king to return and gather us all together, the way we experience his kingdom is through the local church, primarily through being participants within a local church. So let's talk about the local church for a second. Uh, I'll give you a definition in a second, but I want to give, um, give you an image first. Can you put that picture up? Okay, so many of you know that Lindsay and I, before we uh, came back here, um, before I, I came on staff here, uh, we lived in China for 13 years. We were missionaries in China for 13 years, and there was a word that I heard a lot um, when I was walking down the street, and it, very often we would, we lived in China, there were other Americans there, but, um, but we were some of the only, very often we'd go a whole day and not see any other Americans. 
We, we just see Chinese people. We could go a whole day and not speak any English, okay? And there was a word that we would hear a lot, and some of my Chinese brothers and sisters here might know this word, and that word was lao wai. Lao wai. And that word means foreigner. Because as we'd be walking past, people would maybe think we couldn't understand, and they'd be like, oh, lao wai. But look, oh, look, there's the foreigner. And I mean, I don't know how they could tell that I wasn't a native Chinese person. <laughs> I'm not sure. They just really, I mean, they really were, were on point with that. But they, I'd hear that, la why, la why, everywhere I go. And um, because I was a foreigner. Lindsay and I, we were foreigners there. We were American citizens living in, in China, living in the land of, of China, in the country of China. So we were away from our home country, living on, on foreign soil, right? But there is one place you can go within China or within lots of, of foreign countries as an American citizen to be on American soil. Do you know what it is? It's an embassy. So an embassy is really cool. This is the seal of an embassy. I didn't try to draw an embassy. You're, you're, you're welcome. Cameron told me before the service, you could have just drawn a big building with people. And I was like, I don't know if that would be, I feel like that could be a lot of things. But um. <laughs> But, but so an embassy, an embassy is really cool. An embassy, what it is, is it's an outpost, an American embassy is an outpost of the United States of America in a foreign country. It's a little piece of land that it's not just a place that's given to, it's not just a place where the United States government can, can function, it literally, legally is the United States of America. When you step on, when you're in China and you step into the embassy, you're stepping on to American soil, which is why people, when they get in trouble in foreign countries, they could go seek asylum at the embassy because the laws of, of that country, of, of the United States and the U.S. embassy, are the laws that are, that are governing there, right? So in the same way, I think it's a helpful metaphor to understand what a local church is. A local church is kind of like an embassy of the kingdom of God. A local church is like an embassy of the kingdom of God. And the same way that you know, when I'm living in China and I'm a, I'm a Lao Wai, I'm a, I'm a foreigner, but, when I, but I can go into the embassy and I'm, I'm in America. I'm literally in America, as crazy as that sounds. In the same way, Jesus says in this verse that Ed just read, he says, well, actually, in a couple chapters um, past this, in Matthew chapter 18, which we're going to look at in a second, Jesus says, talking about the local church, talking about the gatherings of the local church, he says, where two or three of you are gathered in my name, I am in your midst. So just like when you go into the embassy, you're, you're experiencing America, you're in America. When we come together as a church... We're experiencing the kingdom of God. Isn't that cool? Let me give you, so that's kind of an example. Let's go to a definition of the local church. I'm going to run through these pretty quickly. So when, uh, it, when you look at the New Testament, like I said, a lot of the writings after the Gospels, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, um, others of the epistles and, and different parts of the New Testament, they're written to churches or to church pastors, and they describe the way churches should organize themselves. So Jesus didn't just leave us to figure this thing out any way we, we, we could. He gives us a template and he gives us a model and he gives us instructions that we can follow to organize this embassy 
of the kingdom of heaven while we wait for our king to come back. So let me give you five things um, that, that are part of what a local church is. So, so first of all, a local church is a group of kingdom citizens who regularly gather together. A group of citizens of the kingdom of God, a group of Christians who regularly gather together. Hebrews 10.25 says that we shouldn't stop meeting together. We shouldn't stop meeting together. Sometimes it might seem like we've got better stuff to do. Sometimes it feels like we're too busy. Sometimes it feels like we're too tired. But we shouldn't stop meeting together. I'm going to be honest. I don't think since COVID, I think I can say this honestly, after, since COVID, I don't think I'm ever going to take for granted the privilege it is for us to get to be together in the same room ever again. Do you know what I'm saying? Does anybody remember the first, first couple months of the pandemic where every, we couldn't meet, everything was shut down, we're all in our own houses, and all we had at church was live stream? All we had, or it wasn't even the live stream, was it? it was a recording, even worse. And we had, you know, like, we had, we had some music, and then we had a message, and we'd, like, email it out to you, and you'd watch it with your family, and, and, and that's, you know, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Since the word church means a gathering, that means virtual church, virtual church, it's kind of like a virtual hug. It's better than nothing, but it's not really a hug, Right? We're supposed to gather together. I'll never forget, and, and some of you might have, have been here, I'll never forget after the first couple months when we were completely locked down and couldn't, couldn't meet together, after a couple months, when the first time that we gathered together, do you remember this? When we actually were able to physically meet in the same space outside on the land that we own, there was just this euphoria. It was amazing. I remember seeing... I remember seeing Ronnie Lau. I was like, Ronnie, I could kiss you. <laughs> You're the most beautiful person I've seen. You know, and like, <laughs> and, uh, like, it was just so good to be together with each other. And I don't think I'll ever take for granted again what a privilege it is, what a blessing it is just to see each other's faces, just to be able to be in the same physical space with each other. So first of all, a local church is a group of, of kingdom citizens who regularly gather together. Second of all, they're a group of, of kingdom citizens who regularly gather together to worship Jesus. They gather together to worship Jesus. In uh, one of the Apostle Paul's letters to a young local church pastor named Timothy, he gives them several things that we should do when we come together, that are all part of worshiping Jesus. First of all, he says in 1 Timothy 4.13, I'm going to go through these really quick, but so don't turn there. He says we should read the Word. We should read the Bible. Just like Ed and Carol were reading the Word. He says, until I come again, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. We should preach the Word, 2 Timothy 4.2. We should explain to each other what the Bible means, what these words mean. 1 Timothy 2.8, we should pray together. I was talking to a, a dear Christian brother just this week, and he was saying, man, I wish we would pray together more. I thought, absolutely. 
We need to pray, we need to pray together. Paul says to Timothy, I, I desire that in every place men would come together and lift holy hands peacefully, making prayer for all people. And finally, we should sing together. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, addressing each other with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. So what are we doing when we come here, when we sing, when we preach, when we read, when we pray? I'll tell you what we're doing. We're remembering who our king is. We're remembering who our king is. Because each and every single one of you, including myself, we walk around every day of the week in a world that is not submitting to Jesus as king. And it's so easy, it's so easy to make your king your supervisor at your job. It's so easy to make your king something else. It's so easy to think of yourself as a member of an engineering firm who comes to church on Sunday. And what we're doing when we come here, we, we read the words of our king. We teach each other what the words of our king mean. We pray to our king. We sing about our king. What we're doing is we're telling each other, we're saying, you're not a member of an engineering firm who comes to church. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven who for this blip in eternity, this little, you know, 40 or 50 year snippet is working, happens to be working at this engineering firm. We're reminding ourselves who our king is and that we are citizens not of the world, that we're all lao lai. We're all foreigners here and we're citizens of God's kingdom and we're waiting for him to come back. Um, thirdly, we affirm each other. You know, one thing that happens at an embassy um, when Lindsay and I lived in China, uh, our, two of our daughters were born in China. So our younger two daughters, Ruby and Rose, were both born in a, a Chinese hospital. And because they're our kids and we're American citizens, when they were born, they're American citizens. But they're born in China. So what do you do about that? Well, the first thing we would do after we got out of the hospital, we would take them to the, the embassy and they would give us, they would give our, our daughters two things. One, they give us a report of birth abroad, basically saying, basically kind of authenticating our kid's birth certificate, saying that she was born to these two parents who are American citizens, and then give her a passport that, that says, you know, this is, this is Valerie, has her little, you know, baby picture. And uh, um, not many people have a passport that looks like this kind of the little baby face, <laughs> but my kids do. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it says that, that she was born at such and such a time to these parents, and she's a member, she's a citizen of the United States of America. They give her a passport. Well, how do we affirm each other? The two ways that we primarily affirm each other are through, are through baptism and the Lord's Supper. When we, when we baptize somebody, a couple weeks ago, Eli Popa and, uh, and Leah Gunther got baptized here. And what we're doing is we're coming together. We're not making them citizens of the kingdom of God. But when we come together and we, we baptize them, what we're doing is officially recognizing and declaring that we see evidence 
that they are citizens of the kingdom of God, and we're welcoming them into this little outpost of the kingdom of God that meets, that meets in this place. When we take the Lord's Supper together, what we're doing is, we're, again, we're reminding each other. Let's remember who our king is. We're, we're telling each other, you have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. You belong to Jesus. We're reminding each other of that, and we're affirming each other of that, saying, don't forget that your sins have been forgiven. You might be feeling guilty. You might be feeling ashamed this week. Don't forget your citizenship is in heaven and your sins have been paid for by the blood of our king. Right? So we affirm each other. The, the, last thing, or the second to last thing I'll say, we hold each other accountable. We hold each other accountable. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 18, turn with me there real quickly. Matthew chapter 18 In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is talking, again, about the local church, and this is the passage that I was just referring to, where he says, where two or three or more are gathered, I'm, I'm there with you. And in Matthew chapter 18, he says, if your brother sins against you, in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, you don't just sweep it under the rug, you don't just, I don't know, you, you don't just gossip about them behind their back, you, you don't just say, oh, well, I guess they're not a true Christian. No, what do you do? If your brother sins against them, go and tell sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, then you have gained your brother. So when somebody sins, when we see somebody who's in living in sin and not willing to repent, not willing to admit it, we go to them and lovingly say, Brother, sister, you're not behaving like a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Come back. We go to them and we tell him his fault. Between you and him, if he listens, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take it to one or two others along with you that every charge may be established on the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and, or as a tax collector. So what this is saying is we have a responsibility to hold each other accountable. We have a responsibility to hold each other accountable when we sin. And if somebody is persisting in sin, refusing to recognize Jesus as their king, then we have a responsibility, what it's talking about there um, in, in verse 17, we have a responsibility to say to them, hey, you know, we're not God, but we do not see the evidence of the life of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven in your life. And we want to warn you, we want to challenge you and ask you to come back. We want to ask you to repent, to not go down that road. And finally, so we said, a local church is a group of kingdom citizens who regularly gather together to worship Jesus, to affirm each other, to hold each other accountable with the leadership of qualified elders. Now, this is a really touchy subject. Most of you, if you have traumatic experiences in church, it's likely that it's because of a leader of the church that acted wrongly. And so I realize when we say, when Titus 1.5 says, he tells Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, go and appoint elders in every city for each church. And then in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, it says, you should obey your leaders and submit to them. That sounds scary, doesn't it? And here's the thing. 
Think about an embassy again. You know, when I was going to the embassy to get the birth certificate or the passport for Ruby or Rose or Valerie, you know, there were, there were officials of the United States of America who worked, who worked in that embassy. And they could represent, they were, they were leaders of that embassy. And if I, you know, I had to, in that embassy, I had to kind of, I had to, to submit to them. I had to recognize their authority in, within that, that embassy. Now, what if a leader at an embassy, an official at an embassy, he said, you know what? We've got a lot of great things going on here. We've got some really good community. We're having a lot of fun. I just don't like this flag, though. What if we take this flag down and put up a different flag? You know what? Why don't we just put my face on the flag? We're going to put up a new flag that has my face on it. And everything's going to be the same, but, but instead of pledging allegiance to the American flag, we're just going to, you know, it's going to be this flag instead. Right? Everything else is going to be the same. I'll still give you a passport. I'll still do all that type of stuff. Well, that's no longer a legitimate embassy of the United States of America. That official no longer has the right to call themselves or to act with the authority of an official within that embassy. In the same way, when we say that God appoints elders and leaders within his church, that doesn't mean, like I was saying before, you know, when the pastor says jump, you say how high. That's not what it means. What it means is that insofar, insofar as this particular leader, this particular elder or elders is faithfully leading you according to the instructions that our king has given us, insofar as that leader is faithful to accurately represent the laws and the, and the interests of the kingdom of heaven, then we should recognize and submit. But in situations where there's a leader that starts putting up their own flag, where there's a leader that starts you know, not doing the things that God has been told them to do, leading people in a different direction, then you no longer have the responsibility to submit to that leader. In fact, it's your job as members of this body to say, hey, this isn't good. We need to, this, we need to call this person to repent. Okay? So that's what a local church is. It's a, a group of kingdom citizens who regularly gather together to worship Jesus, to affirm one another, and to hold each other accountable with the leadership of qualified elders. Let me end with this. What does this mean for you today? You know, we've been talking about what it looks like to be members of a local church. And today I've tried to give you a picture about what the local church is and what the universal church is and the, way, and the sense that we primarily experience the universal church through a local church here on the earth while we're waiting for our king to come back. But what does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? As members of the kingdom of heaven, God tells us that we're supposed to be, that we're supposed to respect the universal church not just about our congregation, not just about Northwest. It's about the universal church. And he also tells us that we're supposed to gather together and stir each other up and love each other and encourage each other and hold each other accountable in the ways that I was just, that I was just mentioning. 
In, uh, in Romans 12, verse 10, Paul's talking to people in a particular church, and he says, be, this is, a, again, a scary word. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And maybe you're listening to this, and you would say, you know what? I've been, I have been emphasizing the universal church, but I haven't been committed to a local church. Maybe what it looks like for you would be to say, okay, here are the things that Jesus has called me to do to experience his kingdom and to live out his kingdom here while I wait for my king to return. This is the group of people that I'm going to commit to doing it with. You find a local church, whether it's this one or whether it's one of the other many good local churches around here, and you lock arms with those fellow kingdom citizens and you say, these are the people I'm going to meet with on a regular basis. These are the people that I'm going to sing with. These are the people that I'm going to pray with. These are the people that I'm going to grow with. These are the people that I'm going to serve with. These are the people that I'm going to be accountable to. These are the people that I'm going to hold accountable. These are the people that I'm going to affirm and that I want to affirm me too. These are the elders that I'm going to submit to. Maybe that's something you've never done before and you've, you, maybe you've been living a faithful life as a disciple of Jesus, but you've never, you've never made that type of a commitment to one of these local expressions of his kingdom. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to do that. Lock arms with us here or another faithful local embassy slash outpost of the kingdom of heaven. And finally, when we do commit, it means we prioritize being together. It means we all have busy schedules, we all have stuff going on, but that we, we don't just come together, we don't just spend time with one another, we don't just serve one another when it's convenient, when we happen to have time, when there's nothing else to do. It's something that we prioritize. And maybe even sometimes you'd say, you know what, um, I'm going to come back from that trip on Saturday night instead of Sunday night because I want to be there on Sunday morning to gather together with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not saying it's wrong to miss church. I miss church sometimes. Vacations are great. Don't hear me saying that's not true. But maybe you would even be so crazy. Maybe you would be so, so much like a foreigner in this world that you would say, you know what? I'm going to miss that kid's sporting event. To, to be here with my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to come back a day early. We're going to prioritize meeting together. Because ultimately, this is not about us. It's about looking forward to that day when our king comes back and the entire universal church is gathered around him and worshiping him. And I pray that will be soon. God, I, I love you, and I thank you for these brothers and sisters. And Lord, we just ask you, to help us. You say that you will build your church, and I ask that you would build your church all around the world. I ask that you would help us to be faithful. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that they would lock arms with each other, that we would lock arms with each other to be faithful to living out your kingdom, to participating in your kingdom the way you've instructed us to until you come back. 
Jesus, please come back soon. Please come back soon. We don't want to wait any longer. We want you to come back and to make your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. But until then, let your will be done through us through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.